fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries Webhead Summer, covering every Spider-Man film. We will fully spoil today's film, Captain America Civil War, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well for somebody who had to watch a Captain America movie somehow sandwiched into this series that is supposedly about (laughs) Spider-Man. I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for thanking of me. It is, it's weird because I do feel like you need to watch this, you know, like maybe you disagree, but I feel like the 30 minutes where they introduce him is them saying like, this is Spider-Man. Oh, for sure. It's a different movie, but it's in the middle of two hours of a very different thing. Best part of the movie. The only reason why it's a forgivable choice to watch this in the Spider-Man series is because the part with Spider-Man is the only watchable part of that two hour and 40 minute monster piece. (laughs) We're talking about Captain America Civil War. We got a lot to talk about. So this is the third Captain America movie. It's basically the third Avengers movie, even though they don't call it that. And it's the first movie in phase three of the MCU, the Mm. Marvel Cinematic Universe, the 13th overall. Wow. It was released May 6, 2016 by Walt Disney Pictures. So this is the first non-Sony movie to star Spider-Man that we've seen. Directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, a.k.a. the Russo Brothers. These guys were the directors and producers of Arrested Development and Community back in the day. Mm. Before this, they had directed Welcome to Collinwood, You, Me, and Dupree, and the last Captain America movie, Winter Soldier, which is their their first of four MCU movies. This is the second. I want to mention the second unit directors who are guys who kind of do like the less important stuff and a lot of the action. On this movie were Chad Stahelski and David Leach, who are the John Wick atomic blonde guys. So mm-hmm. this is the only movie they do, but I think a lot of the action choreography is from that team. Interesting. It was written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. They're a writing duo who wrote all three Narnia movies. And they also wrote all three Captain America movies. Okay. The first Captain America, which I think is called the first Avenger, that is a different director. But these guys wrote all three. The Russo brothers directed the second and now the third. It's very loosely adapted very loosely adapted from the 2006 Civil War comic book line Mm. by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. Emmett, did you see Winter Soldier before this, talking about the Russo brothers? I saw it when it came out, (laughs) but I've not seen it since then. I remember being pretty hype about Winter Soldier. As far as I can remember, some pretty crazy stuff goes down where it turns out S.H.I.E.L.D. has really been Hydra the whole time. And there's Mm -hmm. dude who has basically the exact opposite inverse power of Captain America so that they can really duke it out like one on one a lot. And then guess what? It's his best friend who he grew up with in Brooklyn. Don't you remember it, Bobby? We were so poor. We only used to have to stuff. We only had one pair of shoes between the two of us and we stuffed newspaper in them because somehow that made it better. And they were in love and they fought even stronger for each other because they were in love. Um, And then that British lady got in the way and sent him to Russia to a gulag. 
Uh-huh. Because she couldn't have him in between her and her man. And then he got turned into a brain Nazi and killed a bunch of people, including, as it turns out in this movie, Iron Man's folks, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, where, <laughs> what? <laughs> On that road. <laughs> we see the road five times. On that road. Where the woods were recording. Where the woods were recording things. Yes. <laughs> the woods have eyes. <laughs> Okay, well, you mentioned the British lady. I, I want to call out, because this ties to something in this movie. Haley Atwell, who plays Peggy Carter. You mean Captain America making out with his own granddaughter? <laughs> yeah. Or niece. Grandniece, I guess. Well, that's a future spoiler, so we're not going to go all the way there. Oh, so in the comics, Peggy is, like, not really a character. She's just, like, a note in Captain America's backstory that, like, he loved someone and then, oh, uh-huh. you know, he got frozen, he came back, she was with someone else or, or she was really old or whatever. Also, when Captain America first came out, it's in the 1960s, so if he's a soldier who yeah. was frozen in the 1930s like, or 40s and he comes back in the 60s, everybody he knows is, like, in middle age and he's in his 20s. That's not that weird. But now it's like, oh, she is a hundred (laughs) years old. (laughs) Yeah. But people just loved Hayley Atwell as Peggy so much. I think she even got like her own TV spinoff that then I feel like they were kind of in a bind because it's like, well, like Sharon Carter, who's very awkwardly placed in this movie, Uh who's in Winter Soldier 2. Wait, she's the sister of famous boy band singer Aaron Carter. We can only assume. In the comics, she is, like, a big character, and they're clearly, like, trying to build to that, but then it's, uh-huh. like, it's, like, so weird when they kiss. And because everyone, like, just wants him to end up with Peggy, even though she dies in this movie. No, I think she's really dead. She wasn't pulling any Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> no, she's she, really she dead. Was. She is for sure really dead. Okay, anyway, maybe I shouldn't have made that tangent. I don't feel like it paid off. The score for this is by Henry Jackman. He did the score for the Winter Soldier and our beloved X-Men First Class. Oh. On this watch, I really appreciated the score, especially in the fight scenes. I feel like it has this very like downbeat, grand energy that sort of sets the scene for what's going on. Pretty mm. well. Runs two hours and 27 minutes. A budget of $250 million made $1.15 billion. Now that's walking around money. (laughs) The highest grossing film of 2016 and still to this day, the 23rd of all time unadjusted for inflation. Wow. And it did have a positive reception at the time, especially in comparison to Avengers Age of Ultron, which comes out just the year before this, and Batman v Superman, which is kind of a sister movie to this in a lot of ways and comes out this exact same month. I've never seen Batman v Superman, but I've seen a lot of people on Letterboxd favorably compare it in the, well, actually, it was good when compared to this movie sort of arguments, which I think is really just kind of interesting in a whole community to to maybe stay completely away from and never address yes. anymore. <laughs> um, but... But yeah, this this movie, I, can we talk about the Age of Ultron thing? That this movie is just like, Age of Ultron is everything that is wrong with this series. And so we're going to make a movie that is the anti-Age of Ultron. Is this wrong? 
No, I think I think you're right, especially tonally. I mean, it's Joss Whedon versus the Russo brothers. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Joss Whedon is doing that like very comic booky glib mm-hmm. thing with his two Avengers movies, and then the Russos are clearly more like serious, like pedestrian level. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff I really like about this movie, I like a lot of stuff, but some of the stuff you get in this movie that I don't think you get anywhere else is where they're like almost in the X-Men territory of like the Avengers have a big house and they all have rooms there Mm -hmm. and they're like hanging out and cooking and you see a little bit of like the day to day of being an Avenger. Yeah, I do like that, that part. I like the woman at the very beginning who comes and Mm -hmm. like shows Tony the picture of her son and everything. And I think like that is, that is the correct response to the criticism of age of Ultron. But I think this movie gets it wrong in some of its other responses that it has (laughs) further down the road. You know, this was one of my things for cultural context Mm -hmm. is that there was this big discussion around this time about, collateral damage in Mm. these movies Mm -hmm. i feel like this kind of starts in a big way with those transformers movies oh interesting where they're like you know like every time the city has to be destroyed basically yeah but then you get it in the avengers they blow up new york and that's kind of brushed over because the tone of that movie is so fun yeah and it was done by aliens mostly yes like big scream beasts from another dimension But I feel like this comes to a head with Man of Steel, which is 2013, Mm. which ends with like 30 minutes of Superman and Zod, just like two super powered people destroying every building in Metropolis as they fight. Damn. Without really much thought, that's just treated as like, wow, look at these cool visuals. Right. And then there's this big backlash to it. And then all these movies are like, oh, we've got to treat this seriously. You know, after Mm -hmm. Sokovia and Age of Ultron 2, where they, like, drop the city down, as they talk about in this movie. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, Batman v Superman starts with this prologue where it's, like, from a human, as the battle is happening in Metropolis, like, walking around as the buildings are crumbling. This, like, Mm. very post-9-11 thing. And this movie is all about, like, kids died, like, real people died as we were Mm. having cool battles. And we've got to think about that. Yeah. Which is interesting as as ideas go although may i just like offer to the world this completely unthoughtful but also pretty cool way of handling this same problem have them fight somewhere where there aren't any other people around just like put your big boss fight on top of a a, a mountain somewhere where there's mm-hmm. no there's no civilians and just yeah. duke it out like the good old days. I mean, come on. What's what are we what are we talking about here? There's plenty of spaces in the world where you could go to have really cool ass fights between super powered people. Like there's mm-hmm. all of the Midwest. There's <laughs> There's like, well, this movie is, it takes place in like an airport, (laughs) an abandoned runway, basically the big fight. And then like an abandoned bunker that's 50,000 levels deep. Oh, and the thing that they're fighting over on this airport is how there's too much collateral damage. And then they (laughs) could go on to destroy an entire airport, just like somewhere in the middle of New Jersey. What? Who is that helping? Also... (laughs) The two ideological stances that one can take in this film, okay. if I am if I'm clear, yeah. is one, Tony Stark, we are too powerful and should therefore be controlled by an outside force 
the United Nations Security Council being mm-hmm. perhaps the most responsible uh, thing that they can think of to be the outside group controlling them. Mm-hmm. So there's one option. Control yeah. by some sort of state-run thing of yeah. a bunch of, you know. We only use our powers if it has been signed off and we've been ordered. If we've been ordered to and it's been signed off on. Or there's the other thing, which is Captain America, which is we do basically what we want because we're, we're superheroes. And we don't trust the government. And we don't trust the government. We're, I'm yeah. Captain America. Do not trust the government. Mm-hmm. We absolutely no checks on our powers. Now, Clint kind of represents kind of this middle ground of being like, we mm-hmm. could just not fight. Like, we could Mm -hmm. just not use our powers at all. I feel like it's really, there's a lot of unexplored territory. Both of them agree that their mission is the same thing, which is to go out there and kick somebody's ass at some point. The only really thing that they're disagreeing on is who gets to tell them what to do it, which I just don't think is that compelling of a, you you know what I mean? Like, that's Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of hair splitting in the end of their mission. Well, this is kind of because... In the comics, the Civil War is over, something we've talked about in the past, the Superhero Registration Act. Oh. Because in the comics, everyone has a secret identity. And in the MCU, it's really only Spider-Man who has a secret identity. Mm. Like everyone else, you know, the world just knows who they are. Yes. So you can't sort of do that. Right. You can't do the government needs your name and social security Uh, so you can be liable for anything that goes wrong. And instead they have this very like arbitrary thing. And I think it's very telling that Iron Man, who is the one like advocating for it the whole time, immediately breaks it. You know, like before the movie is up. Yeah. He's like, this could be going wrong. General Ross is like, you're not in charge. I don't care. Yeah. And then he just uses his powers and goes off and, and does, and does the thing. Yeah. Like the sec- the day the chords are signed, basically. Yeah. I don't know. If you were in this arbitrary binary that all the characters find yeah. themselves in in this movie, which would you side with? With team pro-UN or team pro-private organization? Unfortunately, I would 100% side with Captain America. Yeah. I would 100% be on the superhero team that says self-determination. We're superheroes. That's bad. That's probably not a good thing for the world. But right or wrong, it should only be superheroes making the decisions Mm -hmm. about what superheroes are going to do. And if they decide to personally abstain from a fight or if they decide something is messed up and they have to go and do something even when the governments of the world are looking away, I think they're in the right about that. I agree. That's what I felt the first time I watched it. And then a couple of years ago, I rewatched it and I saw much more of Tony's side. Mm-hmm. I think probably because it does sort of feel like whenever in the real world. Well, okay. This is what I, I have some pause about the whole Captain America thing that they talk about in this. Yeah. Of like, if the whole world is telling you to move and you know it's wrong, don't move. Right. And I feel like in real life, we see that philosophy used by, you know, people who think they're in the right, but are really doing a lot of harm to others and refuse to move. Well, if the whole world is telling you to move, you should examine where you're standing. You know, it's like, it's not that you should move just because the whole world disagrees with you. But if the whole world disagrees with you, I mean, it's probably worth like checking yourself on it. The yeah. unfortunate thing is the whole world doesn't disagree with Captain America like mm-hmm. in this issue. And it's like, 
really like there is a fairly large group of people who think that you know like captain america and the superheroes like deciding for themselves the only problem is that both captain america and tony are just presented as such tools in this movie Mm -hmm. Uh, like both of them come off looking horrible and everybody else around them looks better and looks like if if like for whatever reason these teams collected around these two but if instead the team's uh, if there had been some other voice to be like a central leader for the team, that the, the whole conflict may have been avoided. Yeah. They're both very bad at communicating. Mm-hmm. Like they're mm-hmm. both very dramatic. And it feels like if they were communicating just a little bit more, I mean, I think in this one too, especially you feel that like, there are like a lot more female members of the team now and a mm-hmm. lot younger members of the team. And it feels like maybe if this happened a few years later, it would not go down the way it is. Yeah. I don't know. But the other thing is like, to be honest, all these things we're talking about are some of the things I like about this movie. Like, I think it is like a big messy melodrama about these like two men who can't express their feelings. It's about like this wounded friendship by these very masculine men yeah captain america is willing to like throw away the entire world for his best friend who he loves and iron man is like hurt because he used to be captain america's best friend yeah and someone has also like presented something to iron man and he's like okay well i gotta do that you know like the lady in the elevator gives him that speech and it does track to me with tony's personality that he's the kind of guy who would be like okay this is my whole thing now yeah true true <laughs> right like yeah someone yeah. told me this once and now it's now the only it's thing the i care only about. thing i can think about yeah flopper bop captain america civil war Emmett. unfortunately i'd say it's a flop it is too long it's a drag the speech at the end is one of the particularly painful closing speeches in a marvel film the captain america yeah phone call speech yeah it seems to me like this whole movie, like there's so many shots in this movie where I'm like, oh, that's like for the trailer. Oh, there's that's for the trailer. And mm. just like stuff like that. And one more thing, I'll just say it. It's got the creep. It's got the camera creep. The camera creep? The camera creep. Whenever someone is talking in this movie and it's like just in a, a room and nothing else is going on, the camera will just kind of like creep sideways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just like kind of slide very slowly but it's not like sliding to reveal anything or like do anything and it's just like happening constantly in all of these briefing shots and it just like makes you kind of like dizzy and you can't i i don't know it's 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 Mm. dumb and annoying and once you start to see it it's like almost impossible to stop seeing Mm. i started to see it but spider-man very fun yeah wait flopper bop it's a bop for me. I really like this movie. I actually really like this run of four movies that we're embarking on. Which mm, is mm-hmm. Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, Infinity War, and Spider-Verse. I Ooh. really love all four of those movies. And I think they're all very different. You know, this is this very dour, messy melodrama. Homecoming is like a high school comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that this movie, like... I certainly don't think it's without flaws. And I, I felt watching it this time that maybe they just should not call it Civil War. Because, like, the battle, the superhero battle, like, uh-huh. it is so clear that none of them are trying to, like, actually hurt each other in any way. Yeah. And that makes sense for this story and those characters. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is just, like, an issue that this is being built up as, like, watch these guys do get out. Yeah. 
But I just like that this movie sort of is like really about what all the characters are feeling and it tries to give like every single character something to do. You mentioned Hawkeye. I love Hawkeye in this movie. I think it's one of Renner's best performances in probably like four minutes of screen time. Maybe There's a lot of stuff like that. I also really like uh, Daniel Bruhl as the villain and I love Black Panther and Spider-Man, both of whom get Mm. introduced here. Mm -hmm. And both of whom in this movie especially have very different energy than like anyone else in this movie in the MCU, you know? For sure. So let's talk about the Spider-Man stuff a little bit because I want to make sure since that is the series that we prioritize mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Tom Holland as Spider-Man and Marissa Tomei as Aunt May? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, I, I I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. think it's a great choice. I think he's fun, charming. He's finally your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And the charming boy genius, Peter Parker, like, I think he pulls off both very well. Just, like, his participation in the fight is great. That really livens up that fight in a way where it, like, looks like it's going to be a slugfest and then it turns into something much more exciting because Spider-Man is there. Yeah. He kind of kicks it off. And of course I love Aunt May. <laughs> How could you not? How could you? Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Much like Tony Stark, I was struck when I met Aunt May. In this one. Do you think that they could maybe have been considering setting up a Tony Aunt May romance in this since he's broken up with Pepper in this movie? Um, maybe. You think that was maybe part of the thinking? That could have been part of the thinking. I don't really know. I don't know either. But Tony comes in, he's like, hey, bud, we'd like to use you for a team. I've got a cool new suit for you. Mm -hmm. How did he know exactly what Spider-Man needed? You'll never know. I like that Spider-Man's homemade costume is like pretty much the 77 costume. Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Like it's got the same big bug eyes. Big goggles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. His new costume has like the expressive eyes. Mm. Like that I think makes a big difference compared to all the other ones we've seen. Oh, for real. Yeah, it's got the Deadpool eye reboot thing going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that makes it feel a little more comic-like where like he has expressions in the mask now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love Tom Holland's take too. It feels really different than Garfield or Maguire. In this movie especially, since they're like so concentrating. You know, they're like, this is Spider-Man. We're going to distill Spider-Man down to 20 minutes worth of, of stuff. Oh, what I like about this too is we get him we get him after whatever his origin story is. Yeah. He's already doing stuff. He's got the little dumb spider suit that he, the homemade one, but he's already out there like solving bike theft and like trying stopping to help a out car. stopping a car from hitting a person, like that sort of cool stuff. Um he's already doing that thing, which I like. I think that gives gives him probably more freedom really to like play less of the tragic like the tragedy of Peter mm-hmm. Parker and more of just like, oh, cool. Yeah. I'm a 16 year old Spider-Man. But you do get a little bit of that stuff in the speech, which I do really like. Mm. Though, like, we are elaborately working around saying with great power comes great oh, responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where he's like, you know, I've had these powers for six months. When you can stop the bad things and the bad things happen, it's because of you. 
Mm-hmm. So you you get the sense that Uncle Ben or whatever it is has already happened in this world. The spider bite has already happened in this world, but he is like working through all that stuff. I also think it's fun for Tony to have somebody to play off of who isn't just like offering to kick his ass all the time. <laughs> Because that's usually the dynamic is like Tony makes some quippy remark and then Thor like offers to kick his ass or like Tony makes some quippy remark and Captain America offers to punch his perfect teeth in. It's finally somebody for him to make jokes to who either jokes back or like completely doesn't get it. I think it was down to Tom Holland and Aza Butterfield. (laughs) Perhaps best known for for being the lead of sex education these days. But he was a kid star before that, too. And it was based on chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. Uh, how, How Tom Holland edged it out. That was like the deciding factor for the character. Wow. I like Ace of Butterfield, but I do think that Tom Holland is a much stronger choice for that yeah i i mean i would be interested to see asa play a role like that now especially but like it just feels like tom holland is this character you know yeah yeah, yeah. like it is so ingrained in a way that i'm very interested to see like what he does in 20 years you know mm. and he is like a dancer and an acrobat too we should mention that oh whoa no way. So let's see. He's born in 96. And then from 2008 to 2010, he is Billy Elliot on the West End. That's like his big start is, is playing Billy Elliot. So he has all that like dancer acrobat training. And I think he does a lot of the, uh, the stunts and the flips and everything here. That's incredible. I mean, that makes sense. Just got it all. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick a question to you. Mm-hmm. Do you think this movie would have been better if Rhodey had died. Okay. So this is something I've kind of always thought uh-huh. that it would be better. And then this time watching it, I was like, I just think it would be so out of place. Like if it was the same thing where it's like an accident, you know, uh-huh. like no one is intending to hurt him, but he gets hurt and, and dies. I could see it happening, but it is just like, the stakes in this movie are never for me really that someone is going to get physically hurt uh-huh and so if someone got physically killed i think that would be like a big leap to make interesting but it is true that in the civil war comics one and two uh-huh. both of which i read back in the day the original civil war ends spoilers for the comics the original civil war comic ends with captain america getting no way getting assassinated and then civil war two ends with Rhodey dying Damn. Or or Rhodey dies like in the middle, and that's like the kickoff basically for for the big war. Damn. So there is that like comics precedent, but I don't know if it would have felt a little out of place here. I mean, it feels it does feel like when he falls, it's like oh oh wow, this yeah, is like yeah. serious, and it it is like I do think it really like regrounds that fight in a way that makes it much more serious after it's been like pretty fun for most of the, that fight. Yeah, but it just feels like this is a movie about consequences for the Avengers. All of the Avengers walk away from mm-hmm. this movie. I just wonder. I, I don't even. I don't know that I know that it would be better. I just wanted to know what you what you thought. Yeah, I've thought about that all three times that I've seen this. I think I've thought about that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. That moment is really intense. I do really love his speech at the end. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've always loved, and I feel like that's kind of like the heart of the movie. 
I do think like the consequence for this movie is basically that the Avengers are split into two teams, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them is on the run from the one. It's basically that the Avengers are not assembled in right. the same way. And thus they are not quite prepared for the threats that are coming to face him. Is that how we go into Infinity War? Infinity War is basically two years after this. And everybody's still pissed at each other. Yeah, and what I like in Infinity War a lot is that Tony Stark has been carrying this flip phone to call Steve in his pocket for two years, kind of always being like, should I do it? And has never done it, like has never been able to swallow his pride and do it. I like that idea a lot. I do think it is a little glib in this movie to end in a way that feels like such a upbeat ending to what is basically like both of them being pissed off and like Captain America do having to do a prison heist to get his friends out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that that letter is a little bit too upbeat. Yeah, I don't I don't like that part of the end, but I do think the prison break is cool. The undersea prison pretty badass (laughs) that stuff is cool uh so i read that uh when jeremy renner is like the futurist is here the futurist is here uh when tony comes and visits them in prison Uh this is apparently a reference to a jazz album that robert downey jr released as a young man that was called the futurist (laughs) this is just a weird little in reference to that And Emmett, let me ask you, where do you stand on the other moral issue of this movie? Mm. Is Bucky accountable for things that he did while his brain was basically being controlled by the Russians? Interesting question. My friend Bill the Cat went through a similar thing in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually an expert on this. I'm Uh well versed. I think my client is not criminally liable for things done while under Russian mind control. Mm -hmm. I think also that Angelina Jolie in the film Salt would agree with me. Mm. So I have that to back me up and you don't want to don't want to mess with her, man. No, I don't. It is it is a hard question because it's like that's what this movie really comes down to in the final battle. Right. It's like Zemo's whole plan is just uh we can get into it but the whole big thing is that bucky killed the starks this stark realization just falls like a ton of bricks on old tony and then he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna kill this guy the big thing is they need to figure out how to stop this guy from being able to be able to be mind controlled again which i think is what they do at the end of this movie right he doesn't he go to wakanda to to have his mind messed with to to get free of that stuff Mm mm-hmm I mean, it seems like a very difficult thing that they should all spend years and years in therapy for, but it does not seem like right that that Tony would kill this guy for it. Yeah. Especially just like out of hand or that that he would be locked up in a U.S. military prison and like basically treated not as a person, but as like a weapon of mass destruction. Not cool. Much better for him to go to Wakanda and get his brain like fixed. Mm hmm. I mean, I understand Tony not wanting to mess with him. But then on the other hand, if he is pissing you off, Tony, stand in the other room. Like, go somewhere (laughs) else. (laughs) Send him to Wakanda and you can live in the rest of the world. It's, I mean, (laughs) jeez. Yeah. 
What about you? What do you think? I mean, I do agree that he is probably not at least legally liable for things done beyond his control. You know, like yeah. if there was, if he was not able to stop it, then yeah, then he shouldn't be held responsible. But he he just has those interesting moments where he's like, "But I I did it." You know, like Steve is like, that wasn't you. And he's like, no, but I still did it. And he's like, I remember all of them. You know, like, I agree that that the most pressing thing should be just making sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. As it does in this movie, you know, it does happen again in the middle of this movie. Yeah. For a brief moment. I don't know. It's a tough one. I want to open up the continuity corner just Uh for a moment okay basically what i want to do across all of these is try and track how old spider-man is supposed to be and what school year it is so we don't have much of that in this movie we're gonna get more into that in homecoming but in this movie we hear he's had his powers for six months Uh right this movie takes place in 2016 yeah are there any clues as to what time of year we think it is I think it might be late summer. Okay. I think it feels like it could be late summer. It's certainly not the winter because they live in what? New York and DC and and stuff like that. It mostly takes place in like the North Atlantic states, right? Mm -hmm. If it's winter or fall, it's like pretty obvious. So it's got to be like late summer, I think. Yeah. Maybe like August. August. So he would be like either a freshman in high school or maybe a sophomore. He'd be he's going into his freshman or sophomore year of high school, right? Yes. Yeah. So he's been Spider-Man maybe since he was in eighth grade. We'll talk about this more in Homecoming. But in Homecoming, I think they say he's a sophomore. Okay. So perhaps this is the summer. But no, but he's in school here. Yeah, he's in school. Yeah. So it's got to be like maybe this is the beginning of his sophomore year. Perhaps. Yeah, so it's like September, first couple weeks of school. Yes, and he gets it like winter of his freshman year, I mm-hmm. would guess. Yeah. Okay, cool. I wanted to ask you another question before we yes. get on to anything. Now, if, if, for instance, it turned out that I myself had been mind-controlled by the Russians <laughs> and had murdered someone, and then the then like special forces were out to get me, mm. would you... Would you like come and rescue my ass, or would you yeah. like? Would you be like, not nah, let him, let him sit in there like a common criminal? No, no, of course. And I think Kappa's also doing it because he knows they're going to kill Bucky. Yeah, yo, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Okay, good. Me too. Okay, let's turn in the villain report. Uh huh. This week, we really only have one villain, I would say, here, which is uh, Zemo, played by Daniel Bruhl. What do you think of Zemo and his plan and his outcome in this movie? This should have been called Captain America 3 Finding Zemo. (laughs) Um, Okay. All right. Wait, break that down again. What three things did you ask me about him? Because I have complicated thoughts about about okay i guess i guess the things that we look at in the villains report are the performance Uh uh-huh what the what the actual plan of the Uh supervillain is and what the actual outcome slash ending for the supervillain is okay well all right performance i think it's great i Mm -hmm. think this i think this actor is really well cast I think he gets gets lots of creepy, cool villain stuff to do, especially like the early torture scene. Like you see this guy's just one cold bastard. Like this dude 
pisses ice water. Like, <laughs> but for real, he's scary. Second up, his plan. It's a little unclear. And I think this movie wants you to be unclear, but it might be just a little bit too unclear. I'm not sure. The part where he's reading, where he like shows up and is reading Bucky the thing and is trying to activate him. Pretty cool. Mm. The part where he leads them all on a merry goose chase out into Siberia and then kills all of the super soldiers. Kind of an interesting bid. And then he was going to just watch them kill each other and then kill himself. Grim. Very grim outlook on life for that one. Yeah. And then what happens? Well, it almost all goes pretty much exactly according to plan. He does lead them out there. He does manage to kill all of the other evil super soldiers. Um, He does manage to incite the Avengers to all completely destroy each other. And basically, I mean, although he has stopped from killing himself and is apprehended by Black Panther, the reason his plan fails has nothing to do with like a failure on his part. He like perfectly executes. But does the plan fail? I mean, I mean, yeah, it kind of pretty much everything goes right. The only thing that doesn't happen is one of the Avengers killing another. Yes. Which I think he could, re- you can reasonably assume that he might have hoped for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, Avengers divided, broken, mm-hmm. kind of exposed to the world as a very destructive and frightening force. Like the world has now divided opinions on the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly one of the more successful villains of the series. Yeah. And then captured at the end. Yeah. Which is big for both MCU up until this point, and also I think for these Spider-Man movies, like they tend to die at the end. Yeah, and he makes it through. Yeah, I really like him. I love the performance. I think that it's really well written. In that, like, there are a lot of good reveals when you're watching it the first time that he doesn't really want the other Winter Soldiers. That he maybe doesn't even know about that. You know, uh-huh. even though you think that's like what it's all building to. Uh huh. Um, and also I love the thing that's the first time you maybe think he's like hearing a voicemail from his wife at home while he's off doing this. And then at the end you find out, you know, that they they all died in Sokovia and it's just this, this voicemail that's on his phone that he listens to all the time and mm-hmm. is haunted by. And I think that stuff works when you know it's coming to, you start to understand like what the plan is when you've seen it once already. Yes. Sure. So I really like all of that stuff. I love the scene with him and Black Panther at the end. Mm. It is it is very dark and serious, but all of the writing in that. Black Panther being like, you were consumed by vengeance. They are consumed by vengeance. I will not be. Yeah. And then he stops him from killing himself. He says, the world of the living is not done with you yet. Yeah. That's just it's intense. It, yeah. is an, it is a really intense moment. And it is part of what sets Black Panther like apart as a superhero, I think, from these other mm-hmm. guys. Like, and his single-minded, like his single-minded path for vengeance across this movie, and then a realization at the end mm-hmm. that it's not worth it. Yeah, pretty cool. I love when they're in the car after his like start-out fight, basically, and Sam is like, "So you like cats?" And then he's just completely serious the whole time, and he's like, "I'm going to kill your best friend." <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, that probably segs us into MVP, OTP, most valuable player other than Peter Parker. So I'm going to take Tom Holland off the board. And in the spirit of the question, I'm also going to take 
Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. Okay. Off the board. But other than those three, which of the 50 characters in this movie (laughs) do you think is the MVP? I gotta just say it. It's Bucky Barnes, baby. It's the Winter Soldier himself. Okay. He's here feeling really bad about everything that he did. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He is. He really is. And still kicking ass in fights and just like generally being really cool. You know, it's like kind of a really awkward situation when you get back in town after like 50 years of having been a Russian secret agent and your ex has moved on and you're like, what am I going to do now? Your ex is dating Elon Musk. Your your ex is dating Elon Musk. You're like, what am I going to do now? I am on the run from the law. And then you just you just go for it. You say, well, Steve, you remember when we were growing up in Brooklyn. You're cutting out pictures of his face from a magazine and gluing it into your journal. <laughs> You're like, Steve, which he you, does. You remember the newspaper and the shoes? <laughs> Run away with me, Steve. <laughs> and miraculously, it works. I mean, incredible. I I love him. Um, yeah. I can't wait for him to return at whatever point he does. Yeah, and then you end the movie as being like the only white dude in Wakanda. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, things do work out pretty well from him. He's really, Sebastian Stan is one of those ones where in these movies, I either absolutely love his performance and think it's so good, like I do here, uh-huh. or I think he's just like asleep at the wheel and not doing anything. <laughs> and it does sort of fluctuate wildly, but he's really good at I also want to say Robert Downey Jr. is really good in this. This is probably my favorite of his performances in the series. I'm more of a Chris Evans guy in these movies Mm. rather than the snarky RDJ sort of vibe. But I think his tortured (laughs) talking to the government uh, vibe in this movie is really good. Mm. What's your MVP? I think that I would give it to the late, great Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. who we've already talked about most of his moments, but but I just love that, and I love his energy in this movie, that he is so regal and serious, and I think it's a great performance. I think people, rightfully so, look to Black Panther as like his big movie in this series, but I feel like if you are trying to watch Chadwick Boseman and haven't put this one on for a spin in a while, he's a big mm-hmm. part of it, yeah. and the performance is still really good. So Yeah. He's a big part of like the human stakes of this movie for sure too. All of the real stuff like with his dad. Oh like, yes. You know, like that's super that's totally intense and like his conversation with Black Widow, like right before that. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's super cool because he seems to be a, a superhero that is like motivated not out of guilt the way that tony stark is or out of like some sort of strange patriotism like captain america but out of like a sincere desire to help uh the people of wakanda and then whoever whatever innocent people around him he can i think that's pretty rad it's really interesting to me that like one thread of this movie builds to a fist fight between Mm -hmm. the three lead characters basically yeah and the other thread leads to this like verbal confrontation between the bad guy and black panther specifically yeah like that sort of being the climax of the movie is really interesting to me so he's my mvp i love daniel Bruhl too and i want to give a shout out as well to paul rudd Mm. watching this i was just like thinking about what those ant-man lines look like on paper 
and then thinking about like how funny they are when Paul <laughs> delivers them. Uh-huh. And I feel like we maybe don't give him enough credit for like how good he is. Yeah, he's very funny in this. People talk about him, you know, like looking young and being sort of goofy and generally likable, but like him pulling off, like making this stuff as funny as he does is really <laughs> testament to how good of an actor he is. Yeah. Any final thoughts? I mean, any final thoughts on Captain America Civil War? I have none. It's probably it's a better movie probably than I give it credit for. It's still too long. It's long. It's long. And it is like kind of a downer. So I don't know. Watch the part that Spider-Man's in. That part's really fun. Uh, I'll say one time the future and past guest Evan Scott Hustle and I had just come back from the club in San Francisco and we were like, what should we put on, man? And he was like, Captain America Civil War. And we were like, nah, just skip to the good parts. And we watched the fight at the end. It's like without all of the context and build up, it's just pretty silly. Like the last 20 minutes of this movie, (laughs) if you haven't watched the first two hours. So maybe there's something to the length thing. I don't know. Uh, Wade, do you have any final thoughts? My final thoughts, I really like the way this movie looks Mm. for this movie. Okay. The very like pedestrian, it's a little bit desaturated mm-hmm. very street level i think it totally works in this i think it has maybe sort of become like standard for the mcu mm-hmm. unless someone comes in with a bold vision to do something else yeah like a taker yeah i don't necessarily think it works for that because before this it feels you know like joss whedon would do his thing very shiny James gun would do his thing you know like everyone sort of had a different take and now it feels like kind of this is the take Unless you want to do something special. Not as big of a fan as that. Also not as big as a fan of the uh, shaky cam and some of the fights in this. Oh, yeah. Especially compared to Winter Soldier. Yeah, I was going to say, you said that thing about how the the combat was done. And I think the combat is really good, but I think it's shot sometimes really dumb. Yeah, I agree. Especially um, the Lagos fight at the beginning mm-hmm. has a lot of that shaky cam. I do love the middle fight with Bucky and Cap and Black Panther. Mm. There's a great behind the scenes clip, if you haven't seen it, of the stuntman for Bucky who runs and jumps off of that building onto the other roof. And then like the cameraman who runs behind him and also jumps off to get the shot. And it's like from another cameraman filming him. That getting is that crazy. Shot. That it's is so crazy. Cool. It is so cool. Yeah. Oh, also, I love the fonts. That's my real final font. Uh, my my final font thought is that the big, bold location fonts that cover the mm. whole screen in this movie, I absolutely love. Hell yeah. Okay, well, we may not have totally seen eye to eye on Civil War, but we slugged it out for 20 minutes and we got back together at the end. So now it's time for our favorite part of each and every week bums the word our quiz game this movie was released on may 6 2016 now we have already covered the top 10 movies of 2016 so today we are going to cover the top 10 movies at the box office the weekend of may 6 2016 okay okay I will say these are almost all movies I had heard of. Some of them I would have never guessed were out at the same time as this movie, because it seems like a wide variety. But uh, here we go. In 
from number 10, moving up to number one, which is Civil War. I'll say that. So Civil War came in number one at the box office. But number 10 is where we're starting. This is a movie we have already talked about on on this episode. It is a sister movie to this about a Weasley villain concocting a plan to make two superheroes fight each other. Oh, is it uh, Batman versus Superman? Superman versus Batman. Yes, it is. Do you know the subtitle? Uh, <laughs> I War of the Gods. <laughs> I will give you the point, but the right. title is Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, number nine at the box office. This is an animated film based on a video game series. Ooh, 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 animated video game. Much like Tom Holland will go on to star in Uncharted, this is another PlayStation series that is getting a feature film adaptation here. And it's animated. And it's fully animated. 2016. Yes. Although I'm reading that the first game is from 2002, from the PlayStation 2. But it's a big series of games. What number movie in the series is this? This is the first and only movie. The first and only movie? Is it Final Fantasy? No. Is it that kind of thing adjacent? No, it's a a more cartoony sort of game. Was there a Rayman movie? It's along those vibes. It's not Rayman. It's about an animal, like an anthropomorphic animal and his robot sidekick. And they're going around and doing Tag and Bink? (laughs) No, but that's kind of the vibe. An anthropomorphic animal and his robot sidekick? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The cast of this movie I'm reading. Paul Giamatti, John Goodman, Bella Thorne, Rosario Dawson, and Sylvester Stallone. Well, I couldn't possibly. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? This is... Ratchet and Clank. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. Ever played any of the Ratchet and Clank games? No. No, I have not. I believe I've played one. They're pretty fun. Okay, number eight at the box office. This is a movie. This is the only movie I thought I had never heard of mm-hmm. until I looked at it and realized that it was a recent bums the word um, answer that you uh, were giving to me. And I don't think I got it. So, But this is a comedy. It is a, it's a female-led studio comedy. From from 2016. These are oh, all from 2016. Yes, 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 yes. Um, hmm. Give me some more about it. Who's in it? It is sort of like the main funny actress of of this era of studio comedy. I would say. Oh wait, is it the boss? It is. Aha! Great Love work. It. it is the boss. Film number seven at the box office. This is a legacy sequel in a comedy series. This is the third movie in a series that where the last movie came out in 2004. It's sort of a comedy about a workplace, but not like an office. It's uh, it's a very specific location where everyone's hanging out and talking. And that's basically the vibe of the movie. Is it Clerks 3? No. But that's that is indeed sort of the vibe, yes. Hmm. A legacy sequel, Barbershop. Yes, Barbershop. Yeah. Do you have any guesses at what it could be called? I don't have any guesses to subtitle, but I think it's, it's Barbershop Three. 
Yes, you are correct. It is called Barbershop The Next Cut. The Next Cut. Oh, what a, what a great name. <laughs> Number six. Number six is another animated movie. This is a Disney original movie, part of this modern Disney renaissance. It's just an original. It's not a sequel. Uh, got a lot of praise for its very serious story, although also there was a lot of criticism of certain uh, metaphorical elements of the story. Hmm. Zootopia? Yes. 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 Okay. Excellent. Zootopia. Film number five at the box office is a movie we have covered on this podcast with a full episode. This is another action comedy. Is this Deadpool? No. Deadpool 2? Mm-mm. Okay. It's like two TV stars who are trying to make their feature film debut. They're seeing if the chemistry on from TV is going to translate to the movies. Oh, what? And we've covered this on the pod before? We have covered this on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what else I can say without mm-hmm. giving it away. You know, it's kind of like a parody of action movies. Well, also being a pretty decent action movie. God, we've covered a lot of stuff at this point. It's getting harder and harder. Uh, One of the main stars in this movie, we are very much looking forward to seeing his new film. Oh, wait. Wait, okay, wait, wait, okay. Wait, is this um, Keanu? Yes. Hot dog. It is Keanu. Um, The Wikipedia page inexplicably says Keanu, also known as Cat Boys. So didn't know that, nor did I. Okay, well done. Uh, number four, huh? <laughs> the box office. This is a sequel prequel. This is part of that fun genre of of sequels that are also prequels. Also part of the uh, the genre of a female fronted movie has a sequel where one of the male side characters is now the lead. A la Sicario being about Emily Blunt and Sicario 2 being about Benicio Del Toro. Wait. This is that same sort of situation. In a prequel sequel? Mm-hmm. To a 2012 movie. Is this Salt 2? <laughs> no. This is a high fantasy. Ooh. Based on a fairy tale. Or at least the original one is. Is it, oh, is it Snow White and the Huntsman 2? The Huntsman? Um, yes. Again, (laughs) we'll give you the point. This is The Huntsman Winter's War. (laughs) Ever seen that? Ever seen that delight? Um, no, but I did recently watch The Northman. (laughs) Okay, number three at the box office. This is a drama it's a big ensemble drama this is the third and final movie in a loose trilogy of anthology movies that are based around seasonal events a big family drama based around seasonal events a loose trilogy it's an ensemble like in all three of these movies they're all different casts but in all three of these movies there's like 30 characters and you're just watching a ton of little stories sort of play out at once. Wow. And it's the third? Yes. Is it about time? No, no. But we are a little pressed for time. So I will tell yes. you that the first two movies in this series are 
Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve. Oh, is this Christmas? <laughs> no. Christmas Eve? <laughs> no. Is this Easter Sunday? <laughs> no. Closer. Is this Fourth uh, of July? No. Is this Midsummer? Okay. This you movie is Mother's Day. Oh. <clears throat> yes. Of course, the most romantic day of the year. Why wouldn't you? Starring Jennifer Aniston, Kate Hudson, Julia Roberts, Mother's Day. Wow. Okay. And the number two movie at the box office, the final movie in our quiz. This is a film. It's a remake of a much older animated film. The animated film is adapted from a famous book. Uh, And this film is directed by a big MCU star who is in all three of the Spider-Man movies we're about to watch. Well, I hate to break it to you, but it's the freaking Jungle Book, baby. (laughs) It is the Jungle Book by old John Favreau. J-Favs. Oh, J-Favs. And to just break it down for you, number 10, Batman v Superman made uh, 1 million at the box office this week. Number two, Jungle Book made 24 and Captain America Civil War in first place made $179 million in its opening weekend. Wow, it really overshadowed everything. The power of Spider-Man. The power of Spider-Man. He really strings in the crowd or something. Okay. Are are we done? (laughs) Yes. Thank you for being here, Emmett. We are going to be talking about Jordan Peele's Nope in five weeks. Oh my God. Next week. Next week, as the post-credits for this movie say, Spider-Man will return. Spider-Man will return. Next week with Spider-Man Homecoming. Until then, Longing, Rusted, Furnace, Daybreak, 17, Benign, 9, Homecoming, 1, Freight Car, Stay Frosted. (laughs) Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 